Today's episode of the Sensory Friendly Solutions Podcast on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by Sensory Friendly Solutions. Discover sensory friendly solutions for daily life. To learn more, head to sensoryfriendly.net. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. This is episode nine. We're one episode away from our season finale. Thank you so much for being with us. Whether it's your first episode or whether it's your ninth episode, we feel very lucky to have you. Our guest for episode nine is Trish Hamilton. She's a friend of the podcast, a friend of Sensory Friendly Solutions. And we were very fortunate to be able to dig in to her sensory-friendly journey. Trish is the marketing and communications manager for Uptown St. John, a business improvement association, and is also no stranger to the microphone. She's the host of a podcast called The Ucast. She's also a radio host. She's been with the medium throughout its whole evolution, and it's great that she is also on the mics being a voice for us all. We talked about her experience as a mother to a six-year-old boy that experiences autism. We talk about the power of naming it and what can that do for families. We talk about the many manifestations of sensory overload, whether it's routine disruption, a global pandemic like we're currency currently experiencing right now, media overload, Whatever it is, Trish has experienced it. She gives us her advice on how to reduce the noise of the current era. And I really liked her answer. You'll have to wait until the end of the episode for that. It's a two-part answer that I thought had a lot of impact. We're very lucky to have heard about her sensory-friendly journey. We're lucky to have had her on the podcast. This is episode nine with Trish Hamilton. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode nine of the Sensory Friendly Solutions Podcast. We're almost done season one. It's a little hard to believe that we're already nearing the end of our first season. We've already had so many great guests on the podcast, and we're really excited to welcome our ninth guest, a friend of the company, a friend of the podcast, Trish Hamilton. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. You're very welcome. Before we go into what we're here to discuss, can you introduce yourself, Trish? I'm interested to know what it is you do. I know there's been some change for you this year. I'm interested to hear about that and and just describe in your own words what work you do right now. What do you do? Sure. Um, Right now, um, well, maybe I should start sort of at the the end of the beginning, if that makes any sense. Um, (laughs) In January of uh, this year, 2020, I made some serious life decisions. And a a lot of the decisions that I made were based around my son and his needs. And Mm -hmm. you know what? My needs as well. So I left my job in February and decided to, uh, to go back to school. So I went back to school for, well, it started in May Mm -hmm. and I just graduated uh, on the 8th of November. So uh, because of COVID-19, 
I was able to take an online course through York University, which I probably wouldn't have been able to take had it not been something that they had to offer online. So uh, digital marketing specialist is where I went with that. Um, during the course, of course, uh, I met Crystal and we mm -hmm. worked together on uh, some different projects and things like that. And, uh, and, and I had known Crystal for a while. Um, I had been working for her and sort of one thing led to another and, and I ended up meeting Nancy Tissington at Uptown St. John mm -hmm. who thought, you know, it might be good to have me on board. So currently I'm working at uh, Uptown St. John, which I absolutely love. It's a, it's a great mix of creativity um, and, you know, digital marketing as well. So very happy to be on board there. Um, in addition to that, I've picked up um, a podcast, as you mentioned, we do it for Uptown St. John mm -hmm. and it's called the UCAST. And uh, we talk to businesses in the Uptown core uh, whether they're new or, or well-established about, you know, what it's like doing business in Uptown St. John. Um, further to that, um, I just ended up starting my own company. Uh, it's called E2M Marketing and Media. Awesome. Uh, of course, very new. So, um, you know, just kind of swung the doors open on that as soon as I closed the doors to the course. And mm. it's been something I've wanted to do for a while, have my own um, company because it, I wanted the freedom to be able to be with my son. And then finally, um, a friend of mine started a radio station and I swore I'd never get back into radio. I had done radio <laughs> for 28 years 28. and that's, yeah, that's the job that I actually left, uh, at the start of the year. Wow. It's just not what it used to be. Um, and if you're not doing something and you're not enjoying it, whether it's the only thing, you know, or not, sometimes you need to make that change. So, mm. um, made that change, but I ended up back in radio just uh, a couple weeks ago, um, friend of mine started his own community-based radio station in Quispamsis called Oldies 96. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do middays on that station. So um, I'm, I'm a busy girl. <laughs> you are. And we're going to dig into a lot of that. But it's it's interesting to see how you started in radio. You had a long career, 28 years. Mm -hmm. But then in some ways, I mean, I know you you have the bug and the expertise, but podcasting is just an evolution of the medium. So you're still using your voice. Right, right. And it really is. And it's, you know, when you're in broadcasting, you learn certain disciplines and, you know, you learn what you can and can't say or you. And I think one of the main things about being in broadcasting or, you know, even doing a podcast, anytime you put yourself out there as a spokesperson for a brand, you need to sort of behave that way. Mm. Um, you know, I, I've always sort of believed that, you know, if I'm wearing somebody's logo, that's who I represent, whether you know, it's after hours or not. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of discipline that carries over from radio into the podcasting. And, um, you know, when you can talk as much as I can, <laughs> podcasting <laughs> seems to be sort of a natural transition. So, I'm curious on how your experience has been. We've had a lot of feedback throughout the course of this podcast that the medium is so effective because instead of just a quick soundbite, we're hearing stories and lived experience from people all over the world on the topic yeah. of sensory friendly solutions. So I'm curious for the UCAST, what has been your experience of doing the podcast? Do you feel the same where you get to expand at length? You get to really dig in. How have you found the medium? I find it a lot more thorough. Um, when you're in radio, you're, um, you know, like I was a midday announcer on a country station and music director and, 
your days are so busy that when you do get an interview and, and, you know, I've had many of them, which have been, you know, all exciting, but when you do get an interview, it's limited time. And, you know, you, you ask the key questions and you're in and you're out with the podcasting, just like you said, you can really dig in and, you know, really talk to people and, mm-hmm. you know, find their why, um, what makes them tick, what, you know, what are they looking to to do or, or how are they succeeding in what they're doing? Um, it's, it's an evolution really from broadcasting into podcasting and, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, no, that's excellent. We are too. We're having a lot of yeah. fun on this side <laughs> as well. Let's do Trish, let's do a, a quick COVID check-in. It's been, it's been a heck of a year. Um, like I said, we've, we've spoken to people all over the world from, from profs at the University of Missouri who went through the American election to to folks in the UK who are about to go on lockdown again until December. It's been Is a wild right? ride. Oh. I know. It's been it's been a wild ride and we feel for everybody, but every family's in a unique situation. You just graduated a course, you just started a business and a new job, and that's all exciting. But you also mentioned your son's needs. What has the COVID experience been like for you? Let's do a quick little check-in, just debrief on some of the things you've been through this year. In the beginning, um, honestly, Matt, I, I, I don't like to say that I was enjoying it because I, I don't think that a global pandemic is enjoyable. Right. But the part that I did enjoy was being able to have my family close because we are always, as you can tell, I'm busy. And mm. to be able to get up every day and spend that time with all of my, I have three children, a 24-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old daughter and then my son. And so to be able to wake up every day and have them near and have them close and being forced to slow down, mm. um, I appreciated that. And I didn't take that for granted. Um, it, it was difficult for my son um, because when you're six at the time, six years old, explaining to him that, you know, yeah, we've been in the house for two, three weeks or whatever it was. Mm. And, you know, you, you can't go see your friends. So let's talk to them on FaceTime or, um, you know, let's drive by their house and wave and not being able to fully um, explain to him why we had to stay in was tough. And one thing about SPD kids that I've learned and, and one thing about my son that I've learned is if you throw a wrench into his routine in any way, right. there's a huge adjustment period. Right Now, it wasn't so much of an adjustment to keep him home as I knew it was going to be sending him back out into the world when the time came. Oh. And it was um, at the beginning of COVID, it was enjoyable. And then it just got to the point where I just started to feel bad for him because socially, none of our kids were were interacting the way that you would want them to. And with him being on the spectrum, he was um, making friends and he likes children, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes kids on the spectrum don't, they prefer adults. Mm -hmm. And he was just starting to make friends and and get into a little peer group. So um, as much as it was nice to have him home and have him close and have that extra mommy time, um, it, it was hard knowing that at some point I'm going to have to turn him loose again. And I don't know how this has affected him. Yeah. In episode two of the podcast, we interviewed Maureen Benny uh, from the autism awareness center. And it's fascinating. You mentioned routine disruption because 
the first thing she mentioned and the first request from parents in her producing webinars, producing podcasts, producing information was how to deal with the routine disruption. So it's really fascinating that you and your family went through that. Yeah, it, um, I, I'm not even sure really how to put it into words except to say it started off to be fun, but, yep. and, and we've heard all the stories about, you know, parents having to work from home and you're, you're trying to entertain your kids. And in some cases you're trying to do schoolwork with them while you're doing your own job. Right. Um, in, in my case, it was, you know, uh, doing a little bit of work on the side uh, with Crystal and different on different projects and taking a, a course and, you know, and, and dealing with him and his schoolwork. But for me, my course was flexible enough that I could do it when he went to bed at night. But for the parents who, you know, had to work their regular jobs from, you know, the comfort of their own home, that, that would have been extremely difficult. Yeah, no doubt. And we've heard from those folks and we're going to ask you to give some parental advice if you would on the back end of the show. So we'll wait for <laughs> that. But it strikes me that you have, you have two other children and we were reminded by Dr. Bill Wong, who we had on the podcast, that sensory overload can be experienced by anybody and, in fact, is experienced by all of us at some point or another. And one of the things we talked about during COVID, which I know you have some input on because of your line of work, um, we highlight this trend. Um, Crystal sent us a note when we were designing the podcast and said, we think this is a key priority in the discussions. And, and the stat is this. As of June 2020, the word sensory overload was being searched over 40,000 times a month on Google. Nice. And that increased by 50% from the past year. So clearly yeah. something has happened, regardless of COVID. I know you have, I think you said 24 and 17. Mm -hmm. And I know they're in the thick of it as well. Social media and news coming at us 24-7. When you think about that statistic... Do you see that as a parent and in your daily life, this, this uptick in this, this sensory overload? Absolutely. And not just from my son, but yeah, my 17 year old for sure mm -hmm. had uh, a very rough time because, you know, she was being told you, you can't be at school. You, um, you know, you can't see your friends, you know, of, of course people are bubbling with their close family and things like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't really bubbling with anyone. Um, and I, and I did notice with her because she had a part-time job. So she was kind of working a little bit in the, in the service industry and she was nervous and she was scared and, and she wasn't sleeping well. And, um, I definitely noticed through her, um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a sensory overload there, there was just, it seemed like she was just overwhelmed a little bit at times. And, um, you know, the same for my other daughter, who's 24, I think in a lot of cases, we all were overloaded in our own ways. Yep. And, you know, the, my husband as well, um, I think that he experienced some of it, but mm -hmm. with his job, he also works in the media. So he was still out every day because he was one of the people who had to cover COVID. So right. he was getting out of the house and on a regular basis and things like that. But um, I think that in different ways, every single one of us experienced uh, a little bit of sensory overload from time to time. I think you're absolutely right. And it's just a sign of the times in many ways as well. Trish, if, if we could, um, to whatever extent you feel comfortable doing so, can we talk a little bit about your sensory friendly journey, um, specifically absolutely. with your son and your relationship to him? We've had some fascinating discussions on lived experience 
and how people have navigated down the road of sensory friendly and sensory processing issues. And it's really been rewarding for our listeners. And we've had a lot of feedback that the lived experience and the journey is one of those things that a podcast can really do well. And we've been digging into it um, throughout the whole first season. So let's just talk a little bit about what that sensory friendly journey was like for you and your family. Absolutely. Um, When it comes to that, I'm honestly, Matt, I'm an open book. Um, If anybody else can listen and get anything from uh, what I say or, or with your podcast and what you're doing here, then, you know, it's, it's all worth it. Um, I think the very first thing that I really want to say is if you think there's something off or not mm. right, get it checked. Right. Um, that was one of the things that we sort of came to terms with. And it, it was, I think he was around three years old, really, when we really said, you know, we, we need to look into this. One thing that people need to know is um, daycares, teachers, things like that. They're not qualified to tell you that they think your child may be sensory or, or be on the autism spectrum. Right. And as far as I know, they're not allowed to tell you that it has to be something that you come to yourself. So if you think there's something going on, don't wait for somebody else to suggest it to you because that's what we did. We waited and finally, one day I, I looked at a daycare worker and I said, like, what is it with him? Is he autistic or something? Mm. And she said, OK, I'm so glad you finally asked. And what and were those? Was, you're, you're highlighting on it a huge theme of this podcast. and I'm so yeah. happy you started there because time and time again, whether it's someone who experiences autism themselves, like Dr. Bill Wong, or whether it's a writer on the subject, like Carol Kranowitz, who wrote The Out of Sync Child, this idea of naming it and then once you name it, being able to come to terms with it and address it has been a theme through literally every single episode. So it's, it's fascinating you start there. Yeah. And I, that was when the light bulb sort of went off and I thought, wow, we've got some work to do because when he, my first hint that something was, and, and I, I hate saying off or not right because right. it is right. It's him. And mm-hmm. that's the way that he is. So there's nothing wrong about it. But the first time that I noticed that there might be more to him than I expected or, or that I that I knew of, mm. um, he was about five or six months old. And, you know, a, he's a happy little baby and he would laugh and, and giggle and do all the, you know, five and six month old things. But then he would clench his fists and he would scream so loud. Hmm. And I couldn't figure out why. And this, that theme, that, that would happen from time to time. And I remember he was about a year, my husband traveling and and I cried on the phone and I said, he's autistic or something. He's just, you know, and, and part of me asked the question, you know, well, you know, maybe it's a difference between having a boy and, and my two girls. Maybe I'm just used to girls, but as a mother, you just know, as a parent, yeah, you just know your intuition that, you know what I mean? That, that there's just something there. Mm -hmm. And people need to not be afraid to explore that. Um, One of the things that my husband and I talked about in the beginning was, you know, do we want to label him? But it's, it's, you know what, it's not a label. It's, it's help. Mm -hmm. There's more to it by, you know, sort of quote unquote, labeling him as, you know, autism spectrum disorder and sensory processing disorder. We got resources, we got help, we got understanding. His school works with us. And you know what? All of those things have helped so much along the way. 
um, being able to, you know, tell people whether they're parents of friends of his and, and things like that, um, to be able to say, you know what, he's on the spectrum. So if he, you know, he may need his headphones for, you know, sensory because he does wear um, ear noise cancellation headphones okay. from time yeah. to time. But because of all the help and all the resources that we've had and all the things that we have learned, whether it's on our own or, or through some of the resources, he's using his headphones less. He knows now he's able to cope with certain things. He knows that things are going to change. And um, I, I'm really uh, strongly advising any parents that if they think that their child may be uh, autism spectrum disorder, ASD or SPD, mm-hmm. don't hesitate to check it out. There is absolutely nothing wrong with finding out about your child. This has been another great revelation of the podcast is is bringing this into the light um, not being hesitant to move forward and finding these resources and getting help. What do you think it is in the early days, like you mentioned with you and your husband, what do you think that hesitancy is? Is it maybe a little bit of fear? Is it maybe a little bit of, of not wanting him to, to feel segregated from other kids? What do you think parents feel when they're a little bit hesitant to go forward and pursue a diagnosis of some kind? I think it, it is sort of based in fear. Um, a lot of it, I think, is not knowing what's going to happen. And I, for us, we didn't want people to look at him differently. But the option is don't diagnose him or don't look into it. And people are just going to think differently of him anyway, because he yeah. is different and he does things differently and he needs his own time and he has his own way. So by diagnosing it, we can say, you know, this, this is him. This is what he's dealing with. And you know what? Nobody judges him. I mean, to our knowledge, nobody, of course, is going to say it to our face, but everybody that we have dealt with has been understanding and they appreciate the heads up instead of hiding it. Hiding it's just making it harder for our son. Mm. You know what I mean? Because of course, you know, you could look at, at uh, an undiagnosed ASD or SPD child and think that they just have behavior issues. And that's not the case. He's, he's dealing with something internally and people knowing that gives him a fair shot. Well, that's a great way to put it. When you think about those resources and that help that you received in the early days and continue, I imagine to receive today, are there some resources or, or specific forms of help that have really improve the quality of life of not only of not only your son, but of the family as well, because we know there are a lot of parents listening here. Um, Dr. M. Marie Savoy, uh, sorry, Dr. Ann Murphy Savoy mm-hmm. um, is, is one, uh, a pediatrician out of, I believe, Chalmers and Fredericton. Mm-hmm. And she has been so valuable to us. Um, and we were fortunate enough to uh, sort of meet her and uh, have the pleasure of talking to her a few times um, because we, you know, we're looking for a diagnosis. And she's been very valuable to us. Even more so than that, um, our pediatrician, her name's Dr. Wendy Alexander. Mm. And she's, she's no BS at all. And we love her. Everything that she has suggested uh has worked for us 
and she understands him and she understands us and she's watching him grow and and all along the lines giving us great advice and honestly it just takes one or two really good really strong people in your corner and you feel like you can tackle all of it yeah and, and i imagine his they, resources they've really given us the um the the courage and and the go ahead to push him sometimes or, you know, not let him get away with stuff. Because of course there's a line between, you know, a five, six, seven year old boy mm. and an ASD SPD kid, right? You, you, you know, you have to teach him right from wrong and you have to make him accountable for his actions. But at the same time, you, you know why he lashed out. So having them on our side has been, uh, has been amazing. They've, they've made all the difference. I love the way that you put that. They've, they've, they've given you the courage to as he as he grows up, as he matures, as he develops within himself, to give him a little push. I think that's that's really fascinating that you've built that yeah. relationship with the people in his life. Yeah, they've been great, and I think the the most valuable piece of information that we heard, um, and I'm I'm not even sure which doctor it was, but one of them had said to us, you know, you have to make sure that you're not walking on eggshells with him because Uh. the world is not going to be walking on eggshells with him. Mm. And it, it was kind of an eye opener because we are, you know, got so used to, okay, you know, um, don't offer him food or don't let him see this, or, you know, we can't make this noise and, and, you know, this light has to be off and this needs to be in a certain place. We got so used to that, that, because we were we were living it and we knew okay he's not going to like that so we won't do it but i think the whole point of it was you know they are going to be tested and they are going to be tried out in the real world and you know you have to just be careful that you're not um, walking on eggshells when you're with them at home i think that's going to be a really powerful takeaway from this episode for me is that it actually honors him to push him a little bit in his life um, and to expect things of him. And I think that's really, really fascinating and, and will, will certainly help in his development. If you could give advice to a parent listening, maybe just one piece of advice, it can fit the time, but it can be evergreen as well. Um, what's one thing, and maybe it is that, that not walking on eggshells, maybe that is the takeaway for parents here, but if you could give parents one piece of parting advice that could help them on their journey, what comes to mind? Listen to your gut. Ah. It, he was five or six months old when I was looking at him. I'll never forget it in his little bouncy seat thinking, why are you screaming? You've, you've eaten, we're playing, we're having fun. Just listen to your gut. You might be wrong. There, there might not be any spectrum involved at all, but it's, way more valuable to know than to not know it has been for us Mm. um i and i think the second thing too um it's hard when you see parents and their kids in a store and you know a kid's acting out or whatever um you know there there have been times absolutely where i've thought oh wow that kid's a handful i don't do that anymore I, i i don't judge other moms and other dads i don't know their story and what they go through, you know, when they're home and maybe this was the only time they could get out and they, you know, brought their child along with them. And kids go through a lot of emotions, whether they're on the spectrum or not. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's really important that we support each other and 
um, and keep an eye out. Like I said, if you're if your gut's telling you something's a little different here, get it checked. And um, I, I, that could be the start of really kind of a fascinating and uh, and heartwarming journey. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Giving giving parents permission, I think that's great. Trish, our final question. You've been very generous with your time. This is the final question we ask every single one of our guests. We're coming back to you specifically. You're a busy person. You're clearly an achiever. It's a noisy time. It's a loud time. There's a lot coming at us. What are your strategies to reduce the noise of the current era? Are you a yogi? Uh, Do you do mindfulness? How do you get back to Trish? How do you reduce the noise? Help us all out here. Um, honestly, Matt, I don't know that I do. Hmm. I, I think that I'm almost used to the noise. Um, you know, I, I had several jobs when I was a teenager. It's just always been, and it always will be a hectic life. I take a lot of solace in being with my family. I love coming home every night and, you know, maybe there is an answer to that. Having a job that you love, I, when I come home at night, it's amazing because I'm not um, worried about going to sleep and having to wake up in the morning and and go into my job anymore. Yeah. You're present. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you have to do something that you love. I, I, 100% believe that now, even though, you know what, for 28 years, I loved radio and I still love radio, but you just kind of know when you need a change and you have to allow yourself uh, the freedom to make those changes. Mm. And, you know, as, as far as Emerson and stuff like that, we, we don't really reduce his noise or the input. We know when he's had enough and we will remove him from situations Mm but it kind of goes back to the whole pushing him a little bit further thing. We, we try not to walk on eggshells anymore. We try to push his limits. We, you know, try to take him on a city bus or, you know, different places. And if it's too much for him, he'll let us know. Um, but yeah, we, we try to not reduce the noise too much and just keep plugging along. I actually really love that advice. Even the first part. So the second part could be summed up as maybe presence doing something mm-hmm. you're passionate about. But the first part as well, your mind defaulted to, you know what? Sometimes you got to put on your boots and get through it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We wear many pairs of boots in this family and uh, we, we all get through it and we get through it together. Having a, a support from my daughters with my son is one of the most valuable things I could, I'd never be able to thank them enough. And mm. they, you know, of course have watched, um, my husband and I through our journey with with our little guy and have been there every step of the way. And having people support you through it is very valuable too. Mm. Trish Hamilton, thank you so much for being episode nine of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. Thank you so much, Matt. Anytime I will be back. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's Crystal Seeberger, occupational therapist and founder of Sensory Friendly Solutions. My reflections today are going to be recorded solo. I truly welcomed hearing from Trish as she shared 
we met because as I was launching Sensory Friendly Solutions and telling the story of what I wanted to accomplish, Trish had an interest in digital media and storytelling as a way of reaching at an audience, an audience of people who shared her experiences as a parent due to her personal interest in sensory-friendly solutions because of her son, Emerson. Trish made some significant changes in her professional life, changing jobs and going back to school all during a COVID-19 lockdown. She undertook just significant life changes when there are significant world changes happening. And she did this to find joy in her daily life and an ability to better support her son, who she shared has autism spectrum disorder and sensory processing disorder. I appreciated Trisha's perspective on some of the positive opportunities that she sought and really made happen at an incredibly challenging time. That complete change in daily routine to most of her family being home most of the time for Trish was something she embraced and adored because she truly relishes time with her family. She also reflected on some of the shared concerns of parents. I'll say parents of children in general and parents of autistic children or a child with sensory processing disorder or SPD. As Trish revealed, being at home was in some ways a lot easier for her son. But the transition back to school and back to daycare, those were ones that would really need a lot of work on her part, on her son's part, on the school's part, on the daycare's part. In fact, Trish has written several blog posts for us about managing some of those changes as a parent. Things like returning to school with some practical tips and what she's tried and tested, and also adapting to wearing a mask for young children. It takes extra work for families like Trish's. Like many healthcare professionals, and I imagine parents too, Trisha's advice, heartfelt and from real life experience, was appreciated. So moms and dads, listen to Trish. As she says, listen to your gut. Explore your concerns about sensory challenges. Find answers to your questions. A diagnosis for Trisha's son was like a key unlocking the wonder of Emerson. And I, I'm tearing up as, as I say this. In Trisha's words, a diagnosis gave Emerson a fair shot. Before listening to Trish on today's podcast, I hadn't really understood or realized the power for parents and families and children 
of having one or two people in your corner. Trisha's had access to wonderful pediatricians and she relies on them for solid advice and information. And having another person in your corner has empowered their family, as Trish put it, not to walk on eggshells. Sensory overload is part of their daily family life with Emerson, but they don't sanitize their life of sensory experiences. They learn how to manage, and Emerson is learning how to manage his sensory experiences too. Living a sensory-friendly life isn't about removing all sensory experiences. It is about designing a life that fits and living a life that allows for exploration, trial and error, and finding joy. Welcome back, listeners, to the innovation segment of episode nine of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast with Trish Hamilton. We had a really great episode and we have an equally great innovation segment planned for you today. A really special foundation called the Braden Foundation. We've communicated back and forth with Tiffany Agnew, the founder, board president, and as you'll find out, Braden's mom. We wanted to read what this foundation is doing, the impact they're making, and a very specific element of the business that we think makes for a really impactful innovation segment for this episode. If you haven't heard of the Braden Foundation, you're going to want to check them out and follow their awe-inspiring journey on Facebook. Tiffany Agnew created the Braden Foundation in 2018 in memory of her teenage son, Braden, who passed in May of 2018. The foundation strives to bring happiness to the hearts of children in New Brunswick who are facing severe, life-threatening, or high-risk illnesses through their Happy Heart Room makeover and Happy Heart shopping sprees. They also provide a free support group that's available for parents of children with critical illness. Recently, they've caught our attention with their Happy Heart Sensory Room. It's a makeover for a young girl in Grand Bay, Westfield, Riley. She was born with Fraser Syndrome, a genetic mutation to the FRAS1 gene, which has had a significant impact on her development. She also has cryptothalmosis, which means the skin over her eyes is continuous without formation of eyelids. She's blind, but demonstrates light perception, so she really enjoyed her new disco light dancing across the room, creating flashes of light that she could see. In addition to being blind, she also has bilateral hearing loss, fused vocal cords, and only one kidney. In her short seven years here, she's already had over 30 surgeries and still wakes up smiling most days. It's amazing. While Riley faces many challenges in her life, she is an inquisitive and physically active child who, according to her teacher, Beth Button, is full of spunk. And we were honored to see that spunk come alive as she clapped for joy and danced about. Beth, who submitted the application on Riley's behalf, was able to join us for the makeover reveal and was overwhelmed by the insane amount of joy this happy heart room makeover brought Riley 
and her whole family. This was different from the rooms they normally create, but Tiffany was excited to take on the challenge and create something really special for Riley. After hours of research and many conversations with Riley's mom, Melissa Tiffany was able to create a sensory room that literally had Riley clapping and dancing for joy. The room features a hanging pod swing, a disco light, multiple custom-made busy boards, a comfy corner, a custom-made Lego and magnet board, and a Lego table. You can find out more and see the transformation by going to thebraidonfoundation.com. That's the B-R-A-E-D-O-N foundation.com. And there you'll see an article titled An Insane Amount of Joy for Riley, a Happy Heart Sensory Room Makeover. To Tiffany and the rest of the team at the Braden Foundation, we're so lucky to be featuring you on our innovation segment of episode nine of the Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, Taking It Global, ensuring that youth around the world are actively engaged and connected in shaping a more inclusive, peaceful, and sustainable world. As part of their Rising Youth Initiative, they're looking for young people who are inspired with ideas and ready to take action through youth-led community service grants. Head to risingyouth.ca to learn more and to become the next Rising Youth grant recipient. The podcast is also supported by New Brunswick Community College as part of the Community Resource Awareness During and After COVID-19 Applied Research Project, funded by the New Brunswick Innovation Foundation. Learn more about NBCC's efforts to transform lives and communities at nbcc.ca. The Sensory Friendly Solutions podcast is produced by me, Matt George, is engineered by the great Zachary Pelche, and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.